this election, your choice couldn't be more important. Our candidate is in flattering lighting and full bright color. Their candidate is in grainy high contrast black and white. Spotted through a telephoto lens from behind a bush. Our guy points at the horizon and holds a baby. Their guy doesn't have a baby. Their guy has a golf club. The voiceover for our guy is calm, measured, bright. Their guy gets the lower register. And sometimes we slow our guy has clean headlines and the beautiful lens flare America needs. Here's a scary graph over a photo of their guy awkwardly laughing. Snap zoom. Do you want a snap zoom like that in office? Here's a photo of our guy saluting military veterans. Jump cuts, flashes, static, aggressive colors. You can't trust a guy with graphics like this. Our guy gets stock footage of sunrises and an American flag. Their guy's flag is upside down and on fire. Intercut with overdue bills, war, and a crying baby. Our guy gets doctor and astronauts and stimulus checks flatline an eagle hurricane the statue of liberty crime scene tape this election the choice is yours their guy or our guy inspiring slogan what more do you need that is how you make a political ad um, well welcome to the conclusion of our three-part series called the great a debate. I hope this has been intriguing and interesting to you, and you can always go back and watch any part of the message that you may have wa uh, missed on our website, or best yet, download our app, and that way you can watch or listen to it anywhere on the drive and always keep up to date. Now, next week, we're going to be kicking off our annual B rich event. And so you're not going to want to miss uh, how this year we're going to help our hurting world because we really can't do Be Rich without you, without you, the church. And we have some really neat ways that we're going to do that this year. I can't wait to tell you about them next Sunday. So please be here. And then we're going to go right from Be Rich into a new series about seeing uh, differing perspectives. And it's going to help us understand Be Rich as well as understand people who may be uh, different than we are. And there's going to be a lot of wow moments in this upcoming series. And so really, you're not going to want to miss all of November. So I hope, I hope you'll be here um, online to be with us every Sunday, 1030 a.m. or keep up to date online. Now today, I want to start um, by telling you uh, about um, my, um, my wife's uncle, whose name is Bruce. I want to tell you about Uncle Bruce. Um, and he's one of the first family members that I ever met um, in uh, Stephanie's family. And the, I think the first meeting that we had was uh, kayaking down a river. And uh, Stephanie and Bruce and another uncle, I think, we all just went down the river. And while we were going down the river, Stephanie asked Bruce if he had any new words of wisdom or advice. And I kind of thought to myself, well, that's kind of a strange question just to randomly ask someone. But apparently this was a regular thing. In fact, when I asked Bruce if it was okay for me to share this, uh, he actually sent me in response the Word document that is full of all of his words of wisdom. I mean, honestly, should maybe be published. But regardless, um, when I first heard this statement um, I wasn't in, um, I was at the time an agnostic, so I didn't really receive it well, but I'm going to share it to you now and you'll probably understand why I, I didn't really appreciate it. Here's Uncle Bruce's word of wisdom, or words of wisdom, and it was this, everyone needs a savior. Everyone needs a savior. And he didn't really mean it in a religious sense. He meant it in a relational sense, but 
I would say religious or not, at least today, I think this is pretty true. I would go so far as to say everyone needs a savior. Everyone needs or is searching for a savior. A savior being a person that saves you. That when you're stuck, they're going to get you out. They're going to pick you up. They're going to put you back on two feet and help you get going again. They're the kind of person who, if you do wrong, they're going to be honest about it. And they're going to forgive you for it. Uh, maybe if you've lost something, they're going to help find it. If uh, they, that you're getting maybe going in a bad direction in your life, they're going to prevent or help to stop that bad thing from happening. And come on, I mean, those are the people that you want in your life. Everyone, in fact, I would say, needs someone like that in their life to save them from feeling poorly, give them hope and bail you out when you got yourself into a jam. And I think inherently we, we know we need those kinds of people in our lives. And so we find people that act like a savior into our lives and we invite them into our lives because they tend to help us and not hurt us. Except for the fact that there's a catch. And, well, there's always a catch somewhere. In fact, I would say in this situation, I think we don't always look in the right places for the right people to fill this role of Savior. Some of the most common places we look for a Savior is, one, in yourself, in myself, in ourselves. We look to ourselves to be our own Savior. This is when you trust you more than you trust anybody else. This is when you're a bit skeptical of others. You're a bit judgmental towards others because they're never going to be quite as good as you or work as hard as you. When you feel overwhelmed, you're just going to grin and bear it because there's no point in asking anybody for help because they're not going to understand. They're not going to help you out. They're not going to be real and genuine about it. In fact, you may even refuse other people's help when they offer it to you. Why? Because you're your own savior. Or maybe you try to find saviors in other people. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing. Sometimes people will find their saviors in their own children. They'll treat their children as their purpose for existence. They will find their encouragement through their children. They will tie their being into their children. And it gets unhealthy. Or maybe people will find many someones to fill that void to an unhealthy level. It's not just friendship. It's just I have to have people or relationships in going on in my life, sometimes to an inappropriate extent, inappropriate relationships, just to keep yourselves emotionally alive, emotionally fed, emotionally there. And they, in, their, uh, in, that, in those, all those inappropriate relationships, will keep you from getting too down. And essentially, they are your saviors. Or maybe your parents, like without your parents, you'd be broke, lost, and confused. So they're your savior. We'll find it, especially in unhealthy ways in others. Or we'll find it in some things. So long as, you know, you have those items and nothing happens bad to those items, you're good, right? Your home, your career title, the money that you've made, your retirement fund, like, and so long, those things that you have invested significantly into, so long as you still have those, you're going to be fine. But if they're taken away, if they're lost, you would be devastated. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those things you have treated and have become your savior. You can have any combination of these things. It just doesn't have to be one. But so long as you look at them and you think, so long as I have that, so long as I have them, 
So long as I have myself, I'll be fine. I'm going to be safe. They're going to save me if I get down. I think it can get unhealthy. And unfortunately, what I've noticed, and this is how this ties all into today, is there's one more area that I've noticed lately that we have come to treat a little bit like our saviors. And that is politics and politicians. Some of us are looking to politicians. We're looking to an election or we're looking to a set of policies or a party to be our savior, to be our country's savior. That so long as so-and-so is elected, we'll be safe. We'll be saved. Maybe that's even some words that a particular candidate will say in their political commercials, that they alone will prevent such and such bad thing from happening. They alone will save us from the loss and the terrible things that will happen under their opponent. They act as though they are our very savior. Or for some of us, we look at it in a broader sense. We look at it from a piece of legislation that so long as this particular law is passed or this particular nominee is approved, we'll be at peace. We will have won. We will be saved. So here's my question. How much, how much are we trusting our salvation to a politician or party? Because there's a degree here to which we do that. Maybe a large degree, maybe a small degree, but regardless, we're trusting sometimes too much that if a particular candidate or party is victorious, our wrongs will be made right. Have you ever thought about that before? Have you ever looked at a politician or a party as if if they are elected, if they're in charge, the wrongs will be made right. Justice will be served. The truth will be made known. Hope will be found so long as this happens. If you've thought that before, you may be trusting your salvation a bit too much to a party or politician. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Taylor, my, my uh, politician or my party wasn't the finalist this year. And so you really don't have, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a hat in the game, so to speak. And so regardless of where you are in this, when you looked at that political candidate, when you started supporting a political candidate or an ideal, would you have looked at them and thought, well, if only they got elected, if only they won the ticket, the wrong will be made right, justice will be served, truth will be made known. So if even your person isn't in the final two, maybe you've looked at a candidate in the past with a bit of salvation in mind. But let's be honest, will you remember? Will you remember those people two to four years later when the candidate is gone or when the other party, the competitor wins or Congress switches? I don't know about you, but it feels like to me, putting our salvation in the hands of a party or a politician is a very fickle savior. In fact, a very stressful savior because it changes so often. Christians, if you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a Jesus follower, I want to ask you, are you trusting a politician or party to do what only Jesus can? And listen, I'm not against being engaged in our representative democracy and supportive of that. 
I think it's a fairly reasonable form of of a system of government. But maybe, just maybe, we're expecting more from it than is really possible. And even if you're sitting there today and you're like, I don't really trust in politicians or politics all too much, isn't it true that you still kind of tune in? You still kind of keep track? You may even vote with some degree of hope in a political candidate. If that's true, you may have put a little too much of a savior-ish trust in one of these individuals. As I was thinking through this, it really got me thinking about um, when the church first started and Jesus uh, had died, rose again, and had left to go into heaven. Holy Spirit had come, and the church was just getting started. And Dr. Luke, Luke, who was a doctor, documented how the church first got started. And he documents it in the letter we call the book of Acts. Specifically, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. So you can follow along in your Bible or what I would really encourage you to do today because we don't have enough time to cover all the details of this story is to read this later. But Luke documents this all, and he records, and which is what we're going to look at today specifically, he records a power struggle, a division between two groups. You could even say two parties. And that's what we're going to look at today, because I think this can give us a little insight into what we should be doing today instead. And the unspoken question that came up in this division between these two parties that I'm going to introduce in a second was essentially this question right here. Who is our savior? And these two particular groups disagreed. They disagreed on who was savior, who was going to save the people. Because a savior provides hope, a savior provides forgiveness and comfort and truth, and everybody wants that, right? Everybody wants that. If you would have asked a Roman citizen in in Luke's day, in uh, Acts chapter 4 day, uh, if you would have gone to a Roman citizen because Rome was in charge in those days and said, hey, who's your savior? They would have said Caesar because Caesar brought truth and law and direction to the nation of Rome, almost to the point of deity, godlike. But in our story and the story we're going to look at today in chapter 4, the two parties were the Jewish leaders including um, some people you may be familiar with if you've read the Bible, grew up in church before, Ananias and Caiaphas. And they were the leaders of the Jewish ruling party at the time. And they're important because they were really the people who had Jesus killed just a few weeks or a few months before this story took place. That's party one. And party two were Jesus followers, specifically in the story, Peter and John. And Peter and John were in Jerusalem at this time, and they were going around telling people that their Savior, that all these people's Savior was Jesus. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah, the chosen one sent by God who loved the world and therefore died for the forgiveness of everyone's sin. And therefore, everybody needs to follow. He died, rose again. So therefore, everybody needs to follow the guy who died and rose again. Put your trust in that guy. And though they were preaching and they were healing a bunch of people in Jesus's name and thousands started to believe that Jesus was their savior. The Jewish leaders didn't like that much because they were used to being the saviors. They were used to being the religious power and controlling the forgiveness of sin. 
They were used to providing hope and truth and answers and directions to the people. And Jesus coming along undermined their power and their authority and their savior complex, to be honest. And this really upset them. And so one day uh, they got the temple guards when they saw Peter and John out preaching in the streets and they sent the temple guards. And here's how Luke documents the story. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. And the next day they brought them before the Jewish leaders and they asked, the Jewish leaders essentially looked at Peter and John. So there's this big, um, you know, dais and all the Jewish leaders are kind of sitting on here. It's called the Sanhedrin. And then you got little Peter and John sitting down here. Everybody's staring down at them. It's a real ominous environment, staring down at them. And they ask, how Peter and John are you healing people? Why are you doing this? Why and how are you saving these lame people, particularly one individual in, in specifically one gentleman who is lame? How are you saving them from their brokenness? And Peter and John just kind of looked at him and said, if you're upset, if you're upset because of the kindness we are showing to people who are hurting, if you're upset because we're caring for the broken and healing the lame, they said to know this, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, you Sanhedrin, you ruling Jesus, Jewish people, you are the ones who had Jesus crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That these people are being healed. It's through that power. Essentially, you Jewish people, you rejected him. You rejected the cornerstone of your faith, the Messiah, your Savior. You rejected him. And then they say this line that should really start to get us thinking. They said, salvation is found as if they knew what was eating at these Jewish leaders so much, the salvation complex, because they were used to having the, the keys to salvation through the temple system and sacrifice. The keys to God were in their hand and now they were being taken away. He said, salvation is not found in your hands. It's found because you have to search for it, by the way. It's found in no one else. But Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved than Jesus's. And so if you're joining us this morning and you're skeptical, I'm really glad you're here. But understand this word right here, it's found. Faith in Jesus, finding salvation is something that you have to look for. So if you're on the fence about Jesus, you're a skeptic. Go looking. Go looking for it. Try finding salvation in politics. See how it works out for you. Try finding salvation in other religions if you want to, in money. Find it in other people if you want to. Find it in yourself and see how well it works out for you. How happy and at peace you are with finding salvation there. But I'm not too worried. Because I happen to agree with Peter and Paul, or Peter and John rather, that there is no other name than Jesus by which we can be saved. There's really no other person 
that provides and promises the lasting, eternal, life-giving change. Salvation that comes through Jesus. And this left, this statement left the Jewish leaders at a loss of what to do. And you can read about the story in Acts chapter 4 and how this all breaks down and what happens. But essentially, they kind of like huddle together to try to figure out, what are we going to do about this? Because we can't deny that they healed the man because we all know he was lame for the entirety of his life. And now he's healed. And so we can't deny that that actually happened. And we can't deny that it's a, a, a good thing because it really is a good thing. And so what are we going to do with this situation? And so they kind of came out with a plan. And it was a really, honestly, I think, an awful plan. But what else could they do? And so here's what they did. They called them in again. So they called Peter and John back. They said, go out. We're going to talk about this. They brought them back in. Okay. They called them in again and commanded them. Here was their plan. Commanded Peter and John to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, period. The end. Bye-bye. Stop it. That's essentially their point. Stop it. Did Peter and John stop it? No. Peter and John replied, And their reply is so good. And they replied with a question that I think we need to be asking ourselves in this political atmosphere, in this time in our country. We need to be asking ourselves this question. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? Not in your eyes, not in my eyes. What is right in God's eyes? To listen to you, Jewish leaders, or to him? You be the judges. We're not even going to answer it for you. Who, Who do we need to be listening to? You or him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard because they saw and they heard. They actually saw Jesus. They saw the nail holes in his hands, the scars. They saw him in his earthly ministry feed thousands. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him restore the broken and forgive sin and bring rest to the weary. They saw that. And they said, you know what, Jewish leaders? You can try to trust yourself and find salvation in yourselves. You can try to convince other people to find that in you as worldly leaders. But for us, we're going with Jesus. Died, rose again. Yeah, he's our guy. So here's my question. Here's the bottom line, actually, today. Who or what are you looking to for salvation? Who? Because it's probably a who, but it may be a what. Are you looking to for salvation? And listen, I get it. I mean, in the midst of all the unrest that we're feeling and uncertainty in our country and tension and frustration, especially in this election, you know, it is easy to look at the TV and see somebody on there and say, yeah, that guy's all right. That gal's all right. I'm going to put my hope, my certainty, my answers. I'm going to put my salvation in their hands versus putting it in an invisible God. I get it. That's a lot easier. But for me, I'm reminded the words of Peter and John who said, we saw it. Not on TV. No, it's much better than that. We saw it in person. We saw what Jesus did. We saw who he is. And he is so much 
more than a worldly leader. His promises are so much more than any politicians. His words are the words of the living God, creator of the universe. So you can throw as many political ads as you want at us, but we're going to go with Jesus. And my friends, Jesus can be that for you too. You may be at the stage of your life where you've got to find him, but then you have to work at finding that truth. Asking the hard questions, searching in yourself to explore faith, find him. I want to take a second here to talk to a couple groups. I want to first um, talk to um, this group right here, um, the mid to older generations. I'm not going to tell you where you fall in the generational scheme of things. I'll just let you kind of work that out and figure that out. I, I want to start talking to you for a second in the back with, with this story and the words of Peter and John as a backdrop. <clears throat> if you are in that generational bucket and you feel a little bitter, maybe you feel a little angry and tired and worn out. You're worn out because the economy is like riding a roller coaster every 10 to fewer years. It takes a complete dive and it's really hard and makes you concerned about things and it's, it's just getting old and you're afraid that things are changing and that things are changing at a pace that you don't understand. And, and it really makes you upset that why can't things just kind of go back into the olden days? And you have started in the midst of this um, uncertain time to turn your eyes and looking at the wrong things and the wrong people to resolve them. You start to think to yourself, well, if I don't or if we don't get that right person in the right office, the right party winning, we're going to lose our freedoms. The end is near. Everything's going to fall apart. And so we got to fight and we got to be mad and we got to be angry and we got to make posts and we got to get loud. That's not true. That's just not true. And you're scaring people. The end is not near. In fact, if it is, at least in a Christian tradition, we wouldn't know. I think politics matter. I think elections matter. But I think what matters so much more than any of the things I just mentioned about that you may be feeling, what matters so much more than any of that is men and women knowing where their salvation comes from and acting like it. Let's say that again. What matters so much more than any of that is men and women knowing where their salvation comes from and acting like it. The world needs to look at you. Look at you and have hope. Because of the hope you get from your Savior. And I'm not sure I can say as a younger to mid-generation that I find that in the mid to older generations anymore. Don't give in to fear. And you won't if your Savior's in the right place. Younger to mid-generations. I'm going to talk to you for just a second. <clears throat> don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Do not fix your eyes and your heart and your salvation on social media, the loudest people online, or the White House. Because once upon a time, there were men and women like Peter and like John that were your age. And they stood in front of the most powerful men in Judea, men who just killed Jesus, their leader, and said, to jog your memory, here's what they said, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard in the person of Jesus Christ. They were your age. They were my age. They stood before the people who could just as easily have turned on them like they turned on Jesus and had them or tried to get them executed. And they said in the midst of that, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. My friends, you have an amazing opportunity to get this right now. Not waiting for another generation to hand it to you, to give you the answers or to help you get there, but for you to get there now yourself and to answer the question, who am I looking for? Who am I looking to for salvation, for my freedom, for my meaning, for my values, for my purpose? You can answer that now. You can pursue Jesus as your savior in the world as it is right now. You have a chance to get this right. So go looking if you're not there yet or come back if you are and get laser focused on this truth. The last group is going to be the Christians, which may span all of those demographics. And if you're a Christian, I need you to just take a little bit of a breath right now because this is going to be a little bit like pulling off a Band-Aid really fast. Christians, we need to stop treating the U.S. government as Christianity's salvation. One more time. We need to stop treating the U.S. government as Christianity's salvation. We need to stop looking to Congress, to the presidency, to the Supreme Court, to laws as the things or the conduit or the means by which salvation will endure or excuse me, Christianity will endure. My friends, if God thought that laws were sufficient, then he would not have sent Jesus. He would have left the 600 plus laws that he gave to the Jewish people that spanned thousands of years. He would have left those in place, but he didn't. Why? Because they're not nearly as effective of a means of salvation as Jesus, the son of God. You see, laws reign in people's hearts. They reign in dark desires. They prevent them from coming out as they would without laws. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't reign hearts in. Jesus transforms hearts into a new creation. Big difference. And let's say, for hypothetical sake, that um, the American government saves Christianity. I don't even know what that means, but they save the Christian agenda. 
which is a phrase that's thrown out a lot. Let's say that they do. What would God say to that? Would God say, oh yeah, I'm well pleased with that? No. God would say, what about the other 7.5 billion of my children in the rest of the world that then aren't, quote unquote, saved by the Christian agenda? Do they know me? You just took care of 94% or I think it's 96 or excuse me. You took care of 4% of the world, which is the American population compared to the world. But what about the other 96% of my children? Did you forget about those? And those watching, think about just it from a Christian perspective. 93% of Christianity does not live in the nation of the United States of America. Of the 2 billion Christians in the world, 93% of them do not live in the United States. In fact, some of them live in countries that we look down upon, but they're there. Are you as concerned for those Christian brothers and sisters as you are about your brothers and sisters in Christ here in our country? We really need to stop treating our government as Christianity's salvation and start looking to Christ, the Christ in Christianity, to save We need to lead forward as followers of Jesus first and foremost. The world needs Christians who know where their hope comes from, are unafraid and confident to act like God-honoring, Jesus-following, neighbor-loving people. That's what the world needs. So my question still stands, who or what are you looking to for salvation? This is what I pray for that you would find salvation there in Christ, in a God-like path forward, in a Jesus-follower way forward, in a neighbor-loving way forward. Not in a way that hinges on an election. My friends, you can have peace and hope through this election when you get to the right answer here. So my hope, my prayer, is that you would consider Jesus as your salvation. You would recommit to him if you've walked away. And if you're a Christian, you would fix your heart on him first and foremost, always, not on anything else. Not saying don't get involved. I'm not saying don't be present. But I am saying, know what matters most. If you will, take a second, bow your heads, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, help all of this, this entire series, to land where it needs to land, to convict where it needs to convict. Help it to be shared and passed around to those who need to hear it, to be moved by it. Lord, help us not to try to get out of these truths, but to lean into them, to seek after them, to pursue them, to not be afraid of them and afraid of maybe the words we've said and the decisions we've made and the trust we've put in things that we probably shouldn't have in the past, but that we would seek you out and in you find forgiveness and find the truth and the salvation that we need. 
Lord, help us to be honest with where we've been and where we're going. Help us to be honest with where we're putting our trust and our faith. And help us to take that step to find it in you. Lord, we thank you for the faith of Peter and John. The words of Luke that we can celebrate, we can be reminded of thousands of years later, the truth that you've made known. And hopefully, Lord, we would pursue it. In your name I pray. Amen.